Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. And our text this morning will be found in verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9, 10, and 11. Matt, thank you for leading us, the rest of the team. We could just continually sing before the Lord and worship um, him as a result of his goodness and his glory. I welcome every single one of you this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. It is great to be home with each of you. Wendy and I were able to, to visit Seth and Emily, and um, I am allowed to say that I bring you good news of great joy um, for all people, for unto Seth and Emily are going to be born, is going to be born a son, and they shall call his name, I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> They're not taking a lot of my, like uh, Timothy John Calvin Boger, Timothy Roger Stallback Boger. They're not taking a lot of my ideas. I'll let them announce that to you, but we look forward to the arrival of our third third grandchild in April. And so um, I <laughs> praise the Lord for, for that. And so Seth and Emily said, Dad, have you told the church yet? And so I'm officially doing what I am instructed to do. I tell you what, it's, it's always great to travel. But I tell you what, I, I missed you as a body. And I am so anxious um, to dive into the Lord's Word this morning. Thanks so much to Pastor Aaron and Pastor Josh, who did just an incredible job in preaching the full weight and truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ um, in my absence. You guys don't miss a beat when I am gone. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray first and foremost. Let's commit our, our time to the Lord that he would guide us. Uh, lead us and speak to us. Father, we um, come into your presence. We are ushered into your very throne room of grace in the name and through the work of Jesus. Lord, our focus this morning, even with the, the excitement and the swirl, as it should be as we anticipate the celebration of the birth of Jesus, but with that, with that busyness, we can easily get distracted. And so, Lord, my prayer for all of us this morning is that you would, you would focus our minds and our hearts on you. We are going to hear of an event, a very specific time in history. God, I would ask that even in in this very moment, on this day, you would prepare us for that great event. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this body. We ask, Lord, for continued direction and provision and wisdom as we seek to move forward for your glory. God, as I have been privileged this morning with reading and preaching your word, I plead for your help as we seek to handle uh, this text. Speak 
to all of us. May your servants hear. And Lord, if there is one that is not a follower of Jesus that is here this morning, that is listening to this message, Lord, my prayer, my heart's plea and desire is that they would come on their knees before you and recognize you as Savior and Lord. It's our prayer. Leave this in your hands. We ask this in the amazing and matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, we have been involved now uh, for quite some time in our series, in our study, the book of Philippians. We know that it is, it is synonymous with joy. We see what? In verse 25, chapter 1, for your joy in the faith. And so we have been looking at and learning from the Apostle Paul, who we know has suffered. He has suffered great pain and hardship and heartache. And yet we have learned that he chose, and, and pause on that key word, Paul chose in the midst of pain to rejoice. We have been learning that through the Spirit of God, any one of us in any hard or harsh circumstance that we face can choose. You and I can choose in the midst of hardship and heartache to rejoice. Why? Because we've learned that God can use any and all suffering for the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm with you that says, yeah, yeah, but I don't, I don't like to suffer. I don't like pain. I don't like sickness. I don't even like splinters. Any one of us admit this. We don't like an itch or an irritation. But God can use those difficult things. For his glory. Why? For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. As Christians, those who identify as followers of Jesus mean that we too can identify with his suffering. Now, although we understand that nothing in history, no pain that you could ever face or I could ever face will ever match the, the, the scorn and the shame and the humiliation that was inflicted upon the Lord Jesus Christ by fallen, sinful, rebellious men while he was here on this earth. Nothing we ever face can match that. But this morning, we can learn. This morning, we will read and, Lord willing, hear that there is a marvelous and a glorious reason for what Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf. Let's, let's look at this text. Let's read this together. The words will be in front of you on the screen. Philippians chapter 2, we pick it up in verse 9. The word of the Lord. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Two points, 
two very obvious, clear, and simple points this morning from our text, yet they are most profound and they are most powerful for you and I. Number one is this. We will learn of the exaltation of Christ. From this text this morning, we will examine and see before us the exaltation of Christ. So let's begin. It's literally this first word, therefore. It's a connector. Therefore, it's a conjunction which almost always points us back to what immediately preceded these particular verses. It creates a relation. Last week we heard Pastor Josh preach and we learned that we can and we should identify with Christ since he what? He emptied himself, he humbled himself, he took upon himself the form of a servant, he became obedient unto death even the death of the cross, and now, therefore, it could translate for this reason, I want you to note this, God, therefore, God, God the Father, God the, the ultimate authority in all world, highly exalts, where does Hipruso? Highly exalts, it means to give exceptional honor to raise to the supreme position. God the Father exalts, raises Jesus. Stop. To stop right here. I have heard, I've read that these words, Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 all the way through 11, are often referred to as a hymn of celebration. A hymn of celebration. This is when the author the Apostle Paul, he pauses briefly and he depicts the magnificent and the unequaled exaltation that the Father, God the Father, bestows on God the Son. So important are these words of Christ's humiliation in verses 1 through 8 and Christ's exaltation in verses 9 through 11 that I've read this, that the gospel is not complete apart from those two colossal truths. That's how important we're looking at the subject that what Christ was humiliated and Christ was exalted. So important, you can't have the gospel apart from those two things. So we read on. God highly exalted, super eminently exalted. By, by bestowing, it means to give the name that is above every name. Now what's interesting here is that the name is not specifically mentioned. Scholars and theologians believe, and I would agree, that it refers to the name that is often not spoken in Scripture. It's too holy. It's the word Yahweh in Hebrew. It's literally spelled without any vowels, Y-H-W-H. This is God's personal name in the Septuagint or the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's regularly translated Kyrios or Lord. And we do see that in verse 11. It's not mentioned, but regardless of the fact, the Apostle Paul is saying what? That the eternal Son of God received a status and an authority in his name that exercises absolute, complete, and equal authority to what? To God the Father, Yahweh. What is this text speaking of? It speaks about the fact that Jesus is completely divine. That Jesus is what? 
God himself, the deity of Christ, a foundational doctrine that we would build ourselves upon as a local church of Jesus Christ. So think about this this morning. Jesus Christ bears the divine name Yahweh, and yet he is still worshipped in reference to his human name or his earthly name, Jesus. So that at the name of Jesus, when you hear this name, you recognize who he is. And pause here on this idea that Jesus is of absolute and equal authority. God the Son has equal authority to God the Father. And it's that, it's that idea this morning that we have to examine when we look at our own lives. Authority over your life and over my life. What? We don't like authority. Could, could you just go sit in that chair right there and not move? Please, could you please just go do that? And we don't like being told to do that. Go, go sit in the corner. Go to your room. I don't want to hear any words. Whenever there's instruction you have to listen to, we don't, we don't like that. And yet there's this one Jesus been given full authority. I'm continually struck with the fact that there is a lot of people in our world today. I would say the overwhelming majority that don't know, or, or apparently they don't even care to know this one, Yahweh, who came in the flesh to rescue and redeem mankind. There's most people don't know or don't even desire to know. I, I don't normally write a message in public. I lock myself in the back corner office. And, but while we were traveling, I was, I was writing um, this message, this actual portion. I was, uh, we were about 34,000 feet um, over the Atlantic for about nine hours at one time. And, and you, you know, and I'm just that type. You're aware as far as what's happening and who's around you. And I was struck with this thought. Who, okay, who is Jesus to the people that are sitting around me, uh, around us on this plane? So I began to look. Behind us was a priest with a collar on, and he had a, I think it was Greek Orthodox, he had a lot of gold. There was a lot, like, it was impressive. Like, there's a lot of gold chains and gold crosses and crucifixes. Who is Jesus? I'm hoping, I mean, he, it seems pretty close. Who's Jesus? Across the aisle, there was a young Muslim woman with a hijab on, and she's trying to control two little, two little busy, really, really busy little kids. Who's Jesus to that woman? Directly to my left on across the aisle was an Asian man who, and I am not exaggerating, Wendy can attest to this, played a video game on his phone for nine consecutive hours. I don't even know how it didn't like die after a while. Nine hours. Who's Jesus to that man? We had 
boarded alongside of a very wealthy Italian family returning back to New York City. They were returning from a shopping trip to Milan that they were bragging and boasting. Kids literally both hands filled with bags, with, with Prada and Gucci and Armani. Who's, who's Jesus to that family? Up a couple aisles to the to a couple rows to the left, a middle-aged businesswoman, and she's typing feverishly, working, preparing for her next presentation. I just notice a lot of stuff that's gone. I'm not creepy like you. Just notice that stuff. There's a young American couple, tourists, obviously. They're returning home from vacation, and they're looking through their pictures, talking about which ones they're going to post for for others to to see who's Jesus to those around us you know it's impossible I, I agree it's impossible to know the hearts of other people that are sitting close to you and you're observing I mean you got to stare at something after nine hours there's not a lot of people I, I did notice there's not a lot of people sitting there reading the Bible it's impossible to know hearts, but you do look at the evidence and actions of some. And I didn't see anyone. And I thought, is, does, does anyone give attention? Does anyone give attention to this one Jesus? And I was very quickly struck with the fact. Do I? Rather than watching other people. Do, do I give attention? full attention to the words and the work of Jesus. Which means that when we recognize he is the ultimate and final authority and he gives to us words, spoke words, clearly taught us while he was ministering here on this earth, am I giving attention to the words of Jesus? Do I recognize his authority? Do I live in submission to that, to these words from Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus said? Don't be anxious about your life, Boger. Don't, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. But seek first, above all else, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else will be added unto you. Do, do I give attention to that? To the words of Jesus when he said in Matthew chapter 22, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Not a portion. With all of your soul. With all of your strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then Jesus said this. Hey, you love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. I was humbled with the fact. Am I living in submission to the lordship and the final authority of Jesus? When Jesus said what? For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted, will be lifted up. Do, do I live in light of that truth? Do I live in light of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8? Whoever wants to be my, my disciple must, must deny himself. Take up their cross, possessive, your cross that God has called you to bear. Yeah, I don't like bearing this. I don't even like splinters. You want to follow Christ, you deny yourself. Take up their cross, your cross. Follow me. 
Why? Because Jesus said this. Jesus, the one who is ultimate and final authority, whoever wants to save your life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake and for the gospel. I love that. What's it say? We'll save it. So, so that's, that's the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I get caught up often. I wonder if that guy's doing it. Like he's got a lot of Armani bags. I'm probably, he's not tithing. Wendy and I, just last Sunday, just last Sunday, had the privilege of worshiping with brothers and sisters, your and, and our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Middle East. Sunday morning. It, it was It was amazing. We, we met, we were sitting up to the front on the right-hand side, two men. Seth wanted us, hey, Dad, meet these guys. You won't ever meet these, you won't ever meet people like this again. But who, who? And, and they were two young men. They're probably in their late 20s at best. I mean, there are they're kids, my kids' age. And, and they're in their, they're finishing the first year, going into their second year, being trained at this little tiny work of how to plant churches, and they're both young men from Sudan. And, and they're learning, they're being trained how to plant churches so that, what, so that they don't stay in a dangerous spot. They go to a more dangerous spot. Take the most dangerous place you can think of, and you multiply it by a thousand. That's South Sudan right now. That's what they're doing to the church of Jesus Christ. And they were excited about the opportunity taking the gospel to, the, to those fellow countrymen. It was what? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake and the work of the gospel, they'll save it. And these two young men, they got it. Met a young woman, beautiful young uh, single gal, and, and she's going, she's, she's going into um, uh, Syrian refugee camps in some really difficult areas to teach children about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and and I was struck like how do they how do these like how do these people do this? I can I can be tough, forgive me. I can be tough on some of the younger generation. Like come on, they got so much. No, no, some of them are outpacing our comforts. I thought, how, how do young people do such things? How do they live like this? Unless what? Unless they know and they serve the exalted Christ. They know and they are living in submission to the one who has all and final authority. Yet, yet it appears to be that many people in our world don't know this name or perhaps don't even care to know this one, Jesus. I stand before you this morning, as is my task before the Lord, and I am telling you that there is coming a time. There will be a time when every single person in all of the worlds who's ever lived 
ever will live will recognize the authority of Jesus. It made me think not only who, who is Jesus to the many people that are sitting around me on this flight. It made me think about this. Who is Jesus to the many people that are sitting in front of me right now? Who is Jesus? Sadly, there has been, I, I think, some bad teaching, some bad theology that, that has been taught over years. That some, some people believe that if, if, you just, if you just mutter the name Jesus, you, you're, you're going to be okay. If you just give a brief, fleeting thought to Jesus, then, then you will be saved. Oh, people, that is so wrong. Let me tell you this. Jesus Christ will never settle for second place. He will never settle for a second place. Jesus is not, hear me this morning, Jesus is not fire insurance that's protecting you from hell. He is what? He is Lord over all, over everyone, over everything. We've got to recognize when we accept Jesus as Savior, we must also recognize and accept him as Lord. You can't split. You can't have half of who Jesus is. Well, what does is, what is submission look like to you and to me this morning? It, it kind of gives, and, and, it's, and it's, it's a physical response. Physiologically, what knees are bending. That's what it says. It says that, that every single knee should bend. Every single knee should bow. It is a picture of full and complete submission and surrender to the ultimate authority that exists over all things and all time. I pause on that for a moment. I'm like, the bowing of our knee, this is just something that doesn't seem very commonplace for you and I today. We, we don't, we don't, the bowing, the bending of our knee. Gentlemen, some of you who, who, who perhaps um, at that moment when you knew that she was the one and you, you saved up and you bought that. I remember buying, it was like, like a thousandth of a carrot and I saved up for it. And I got down on one knee. I said, please, help me out here. She said, yes. I was thinking, like, how often... Even the understanding of the bending of our knees is kind of foreign in our culture, our world today. How foreign? You know why? And this is just crazy. Going all the way back to when I was, I think I was a freshman um, in college. It was 1988. And you began to hear rumblings of a group of guys. Uh, a group of young guys who actually... Um, study at the Philadelphia High School for the creative 
um, and performing arts. It's referred to as kapad. And there were these guys who would actually gather in the bathrooms because the acoustics were so good, and they would sing songs together. They kind of combined as, as a band that was called Unique Attraction. You never heard of Unique Attraction before, but no, eventually, by 1994, they wrote a song called On Bended Knee. It became Boys to Men. Did you know that? Like, you learned something this morning. And it was actually a, a number one single in 1994 called On Bended Knee. And it's this idea that a, a guy had kind of like wronged his, his girlfriend, and so he's trying to make it right again. And so there's the video with kind of like this, what, in, in like perfect pitch and harmony. He's bleeding. I'm down on bended knee. I'll never walk again until you come back to me. I'm down on bended knee. Baby, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for all the wrong I've done. Please come back home, girl. I know you put all your trust in me. I'm sorry I let you down. Please forgive me. I'm on bended knee. That's kind of the extent, isn't it? Like, that's kind of our understanding. We hear this phrase, like, in every knee, and you're kind of like, baby, just please. No, no, it's not, it's not like that. It's not like that. Take the little, like, perfect pitch and harmony and smoky little video aside. This phrase actually comes from the Old Testament. A lot of people don't recognize that. The latter part of the book of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 66, God is actually promising that there will be a time of coming comfort for, for the Israelites, the Hebrews who have been in Babylonian captivity. There's coming a time, and a big idea here in this portion of the book of Isaiah is that God is the only one who can save his people, as opposed to the false idols that they had started to follow. He talks about the fact those who turn from their idols will be saved. Those who do not turn from their idols, you and I sitting here this morning, those who do not turn from their idols will not be saved. It actually says this in, in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23, By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. If you recall as well, the um, Apostle Paul wrote again a couple years later, about five years after he wrote this in to, to, the, to the church at Philippi. He writes in Romans, in, in chapter 14, verse 11, for it is written, and he quotes again, as I have lived, says the Lord, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God's. Why, why is this important, Old Testament or New Testament? It is, it is, it is all the way through Scripture. It's total. Who are those that submit to the supreme authority of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's actually comprised and broken into three different groups for us. It says those in heaven. Matt, I got it. That was excellent. As far as who, who, who's in heaven? Well, Grandma and Peter's is there. I know that. And anyone 
who has gone before us as a follower of Jesus. Who else is in heaven? Angels. Angels. It says those who are on earth, that's both the redeemed and the unredeemed. There will be a moment they will be forced. Baby, I'm down on my knees. No, it's not going to look like that, I can assure you. Everyone. Not only in heaven and on earth, but those under the earth. Well, it's a direct reference to those angels that rebelled a third to fallen angels, to the unredeemed, dead in hell, those awaiting final judgment and eternal punishment, they will bend and bow before the Lord. And yet it doesn't even end there. It says that God actually is going to um, have more of a response. Not only is there the bending of our knees in submission to the full and final authority of Jesus, but it says that there will be the confession of our tongues. Every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Examalajeo. It means to open, openly and publicly make confession. Yeah, excuse me, I don't, I don't really like speaking in public. I hear that all the time. Yeah, I just, you know, I'm not, I'm a follower of Jesus. I just don't tell anyone about it. No, I'm sorry, it doesn't work like that. Why? Because there's coming a time every single one of us will openly and publicly. So you can choose. Oh, people. You can choose to do that today rather than at this moment. Confession of our tongue, Matthew Henry describes it like this. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He says every nation and language will publicly own the universal empire of the exalted Redeemer, and that all power in heaven and on earth is given to him, according to Matthew chapter 28, to observe the vast extent of the kingdom of Christ. It reaches to heaven and earth and to all the creatures in each, to angels as well as men, and to the dead as well to the living, to the glory of God the Father. One day, one day, day all will be made to acknowledge Jesus Christ as he claims to be who is that lord final authority yeah, but you don't like authority no no you will recognize that one day there's coming a time but unfortunately at that moment it will be too late for the salvation of some at that moment, it will be too late. So I, I, I want you to see and hear the certainty of this scene. Everyone acknowledges. Think of it like this. If, if I were to bet you, I know we're not supposed to bet in church, okay? We're not supposed to quote boys to men either. But if I were to bet you $100, that the Patriots will beat the Eagles from this past Super Bowl in February. I bet you $100, bet you $100 that pff, the Eagles are never going to beat the Patriots. Would you take me up on that bet? Yeah, idiot. Of course, I'll take your $100 any day of the week. It, it's foolishness 
to bet on something that you know how it already ends. We already know. Go home, patriots. We know how it ends. Yet millions upon millions and millions of people are betting the eternal destination against an outcome that God has already declared with absolute certainty. They're betting their eternity on something that God has already made very, very clear. Jesus was born. Fact. Jesus suffered and was humiliated in ways that we can't even fully comprehend. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day, and now he sits in what? The right hand of the Father waiting. Waiting. And we know that Jesus is Lord. Do, do you realize this is, this is how prominent this message is throughout the entirety of the New Testament. References of Jesus in the New Testament alone, in reference to him being Lord, 747 times. References throughout the entirety of the New Testament that Jesus Christ is referred to as Lord. The implication of Lord. In the book of Acts alone, Jesus two times is referred to as Savior. 92 times he is referred to and referenced as Lord. What, what, what do you think we prepare for? Now, I understand that Jesus died for our sins, that we are in need of, of his price, redemptive, atoning work that was accomplished through the shedding of his blood. Jesus is our Savior, but we can't just stop there. Jesus is Savior and Lord two weeks from now. I can't wait two weeks from now. We're going to have a first baptism inside of this church in our little baptistry tank over there. Somebody asked me if it was a hot tub. No, just to clarify. Three or four people planning. And I will ask them a question. Have you acknowledged and received the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Yes or no? Upon that declaration of yes, that's what, what God has given the authority to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You, you understand that you can't have one. A lot of people like whisper the name of Jesus, I'm good to go. No, no I'm sorry. There, there is coming a time. All the way through Luke chapter 2, the angels announced, Today in the city of David, there has been a, what, born to you, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. John chapter 13, Jesus told his disciples, You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, so I am. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Peter preaching at Pentecost. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God hath made him both Lord and Christ. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 12. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. People, you can be certain. Full and final authority of the word of God, you can be certain that there is coming a time. And so I invite you and I implore you today, to turn from any idols that are distracting you. To surrender. To, 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 to bend your knee. To confess. Lord, we recognize that we are sinners and we are unworthy of your grace and mercy, but we accept your work 
and now we submit to you as Lord. Now, please don't misunderstand me. This doesn't mean that when we surrender to Jesus as Lord that we are in absolute perfected obedience. We're, we're not going to be. We're fallen people, fallen sinners in a fallen, sin-filled world. And so we know that what God is graciously and patiently setting us aside, sanctifying us for his glory. But every time, and you know it every day, the Holy Spirit gives us very little wiggle room. When we disobey, we're on our knees. Lord, forgive me. It says in his word, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we live with that hope. So I encourage you, today is the day of salvation, to recognize fully if you want to talk with me, nothing excites me more. Any one of the pastors, any one of the elders or deacons to say, how, how do I do this? How do I surrender now as opposed to being forced to later? Come and make sure you talk. Take the time, even in the last closing hymn, to examine and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and listen to what he's telling you. What idols need to be cast aside as we surrender to his full and final authority. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We ask, Lord, that you would bless us as we strive to be obedient. We confess, Lord, in our flesh that we constantly, constantly struggle. We veer to the left or to the right, but we thank you, Lord, that you love us unconditionally, that, that, that you sent your son Jesus to be our Savior, but also we recognize him to be Lord of our life. Today, Lord, I would ask you that you make it clear and speak to every single person here this morning. We thank you that there is amazing and joyful hope even in the midst of pain and hardship because of who Jesus is. And we recognize him now. And we submit to the one where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. We ask this in his name. Amen. Would you stand with us please as we close? Let's go out just lifting up the name of Jesus.